Hey everyone, we're about to jump into a new three-part series on wilderness seasons. I know some of us may be currently facing a similar moment of uncertainty or have been in the past. My hope is that Shai's story will spark a fire in you that will shift your perspective on your suffering. I personally am so grateful I got to hear about how her obedience and humility brought her to a place of peace. Also, always remember not to isolate yourself when you are in a season of pain and invite your trusted friends and family to lift you up even when you don't feel like it because feelings are fleeting. Now let's dive into this new episode. Have I always been confident? The funny thing is I've never actually thought where it came from, but if I think about it, I think it came from my parents. I think it came from the home I was raised in our culture. Yeah. You know, we came here and obviously being plucked from like another country or being now you're landing in a foreign place, that can be a little, um, not a little, a lot. Um, disorienting right so i wouldn't say maybe in school i might have been quote unquote confident especially when i first moved here but it's really because i was ascertaining my environment yeah um but regardless of what changed whether it was the country whether it was family members coming in and out of home etc the thing that stayed um consistent was my parents and what they taught us that we were capable of which was any and everything okay um, and that might stem really just from me being, from me being Nigerian. Um, excellence is our spirit that really is tried and true from when we're being like raised. Um, and then also my parents did not accept almost anything less because they knew that you can, like, you know what I'm saying? Like you can do this. So especially with education, Nigerians in general are incredibly well educated. Um, we're very fortunate for that. And that's something my parents always kind of drove in me. And then secondly, I think them being Christian as well, um, they would instill these values. And it's so funny. We used to have this thing called prayer time when we were younger. Like, up until I left the house in high school. <laughs> You're laughing. Absolutely. Because I have a friend that told me the same thing. It's a mutual friend. Dale. She told me the same thing. That she did, did. did she? Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. So we had prayer time. And it was either in the morning or as we got older at night. Because, you know, the mornings kind of get crazy. And we read a Bible story and everyone talks about it. And then we pray. Right? So learning those values about what we're meant to do and not meant to do. It made it very easy, especially in middle school. Middle school is like a very weird time i mm-hmm. think with all the hormones all the social anxieties that are happening in middle school it made it very easy for me to be like no i'm not going to go do that that's why would i want to do that that's not something that aligns with who i am and it was very easy to make that decision because my parents um were always very outspoken about it yeah yeah i feel like that makes you more confident in your identity yeah i'm very grateful for that because i definitely have friends who would kind of just, I would just look and be like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, but if you don't have the, if you don't know which voice to listen to, you're going to follow the crowd mm-hmm. or like do whatever society tells you is best. So I'm grateful that even though at times they were stern, um, it was for my good. Like, yeah. At the, at the end of the day, like the Bible says, like train up a child and when they grow old, they would depart. Um, and that was definitely like my case. That's awesome. What, how old were you when you moved here? Eight. Okay, so did you have to learn English? Or did you... No, so we, we, English is actually the official language in Nigeria okay. because they are a gazillion languages, a gazillion dialects spoken Yeah. Um, to kind of have a unified body. English is actually our official language. And then depending on where you're at in the country, state, city, um, 
will dictate what is actually being spoken in that region. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I know you and your family are close. Like you, I, I was looking at your Instagram, and you always make time to travel and come see them. Like, yeah. how do you do that? Like how, like after working for so long, like I mean, I, I understand the importance of family, but like, yeah, how do you find the time to just like, okay, I'm gonna like go and visit my family, even if I'm um, exhausted. When I say I'm gonna do something, I do it. So I don't even like. I just do it, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it's a matter of of following like that conviction versus what I'm feeling, right? If I if I put my manpower, my brain power in how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. it's gonna very easily talk me out of it. And our feelings are so fleeting, right? Um, so I think pinpointing what drives me, what makes me happy, what where do I feel fulfilled, um, and what do I think is a priority, yeah, and what's what's really gonna like what matters outside of all like the fluff my family is one of those things so making time for them especially since i've been gone from home now for over 15 plus years going back to that is always it's always resetting and at the same time um i feel like i glean way more from them as i as i age if that even makes sense yeah yeah but um i suppose like you're like when you're home, do you feel like, do you, do you want to stay? Or you're just like, okay, I have to go back, like, back to the... <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe both. I would say I want to stay in a sense that I miss them. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could see them every day. Because mm-hmm. I've moved around so much that I've had friends in different areas where their parents are local. And seeing that relationship is very beautiful, yeah. right? Especially my friends that have kids. Um so there is the part of me that wants to stay is I wish we had more time of like just regular, regular hanging out, Yeah, you know, but the part of me is that I got to go is the sense that, um, I have a mission. Right. And they're so proud of like what I'm doing. Um, and at the same time, there's so much to learn when you don't live in the house, you know what I'm okay. saying? As an adult, et cetera. Um, so I would say it's both. I would, I would definitely say it's both. How is it for you moving like the first time? I first left my house. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. That's so funny. Um, I, I can tell you how it was from my from my mom's perspective. So um my dad went on my college visits with me. My mom didn't. My dad went with me too. <laughs> and at that point we were trying to choose between Johns Hopkins and UM cookies. And we got on UM's campus and we were like, yo, it's freaking beautiful, right? And he was like, I don't think Hopkins can do this. I was like, so it was a wrap. Yeah, yeah. So then I move in. My parent, oh, the entire family comes to make it like a vacation. We stop in Orlando first. Like my brother, my sister, all because you know their baby, well, their oldest baby, whatever, is leaving. And I remember they helped me move in, and then it's time for them to go. And I was like, okay, bye. And I turned around and walked away. <laughs> You're ready. And then yeah, oh, I was very ready. I was very intentional about. I didn't. Even if I went to Johns Hopkins, I was going to live at home. I, yeah. I, I, at that point, I wanted the space. I yeah. felt like I needed to grow in that aspect. Um, but I remember it was a little ramp. So I, I said, bite it up in the minivan, and I walked up the ramp, and I did look back. And I was like, all right, deuces. And then recounting that story from my mom's perspective now, because my siblings were with her. <laughs> my, they said my mom just looked at my dad. And she's, like, watching me just walk. <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe you let her go here. Oh my God. 
Did you know you wanted to go to like specifically interventional like radiologists or no? So that was also kind of happenstance. <laughs> happenstance for really like just God, but just like making all these moves in the background, right? So when I was in med school, funny thing with psych, I got to psych. Um, I was great for them at med school. We had a very realistic uh, experience, meaning when you're the medical student, you were basically that patient's doctor. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't fake. Yeah. And I remember I got to psych because I was so excited for it, right? And I remember thinking, these patients, I was taking in all of their burdens. I was internalizing it. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to do this for the rest of my life and then not bring it home? Mm-hmm. Because I realized as, as good as God is, there are some people that are really dealt bad parts from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and they end up making these decisions so where they can't. By the, time they get, by the time they get to me and they're my patient, I don't see the redemptive mark of God in their life yet, mm-hmm. right? And that was really heavy for me. Mm-hmm. So I remember thinking, like, I think I can do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going on this quest. I'm like, what am I going to do? Um, but in medical school, you basically do a bunch of rotations. We call it sub-eyes, where you rotate through a lot of the different types of medicine or specialties or whatever. So when I was in my internal medicine rotation, um, my senior at that time was like every Friday. It was actually really cool. He would drop us off at a different department. One time he dropped us off with GI, gastroenterology. Mm-hmm. 
And then another time he dropped us off with radiology, but it's this interventional radiologist, and I'd never heard of it before. And I don't even remember what the guy did. I mean, what the guy said, or really more so what he did. I just remember how he felt. And he was so, he just had this attitude of like, attitude of gratitude. I know this sounds like cliche, but he was so grateful to be there. So happy. And I feel like he said something like, I love my job. I love what I do. And at that time, watching him as a med student, you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. But I was like, he's making some kind of a change. And then we followed him to do a procedure at the bedside, which is not common. If we do a procedure at the bedside, the patient's got to be pretty sick. And thinking about it now, he stuck a tube in the patient and something came out the tube. Knowing now my expertise in it, it was pus coming out of the tube. The patient had an infected gallbladder. And then scrubs out, walks away, and then we can see the following the rest of the day. And he was just so happy. So it was just, so then that, that was like the first deposit. And it kind of kept on percolating in my mind. Um, I realized I wanted to work with my hands. Mm-hmm. Over pontificating. Okay. Pontificating is what we call our non-surgical colleagues, family medicine, your primary care doctor, um, anyone that's not performing an operation, they're a pontificator because they have to listen to you tell a story, look through all your labs, and figure out what the diagnosis is, mm. right? And it's not to say I don't do that, but they spend hours doing that, becoming an expert in it. That wasn't as mentally stimulating to me to, as finding out the diagnosis and then saying, oh, I know what it is and I can do something about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I was like, oh, okay, this kind of seems like a good fit. So yeah, that's how that kind of came about. I think like what's interesting is when you, I, I, I've noticed a lot for me, when I see um, someone who's passionate about something, like that makes you want to be passionate about it too. Yeah. Yeah. It gets you curious. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's happening? Why is that? Like, why is there so much joy in that person? Yeah. If um, it was boring, I imagine that day wouldn't even been. Yeah. It wouldn't, even, it wouldn't be a core memory. Exactly. Me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you're more into action than just like the passive thinking. <laughs> 100%. Anyone that knows me knows that for sure. Okay. That's cool. So I would say I was very fortunate in my medical training um, to be surrounded by other passionate people. Mm-hmm. People that cared about you as a human being. And it made my training really, really just fantastic, top notch. Um, not, not just from like what I'm learning academically, but really the people that I surrounded myself with. So externally, I could see how, oh, yeah, that girl's got everything. Yeah, she's, she's got everything. Um, but I would say, wait, had I, I say that girl has everything and um, you can still be going through something, whether people don't, whether people realize it or not. But what stays constant is what drives you, right? And for me, that was like definitely tested, quote, unquote, what drives me. It was definitely tested last year. Um, I would say I probably went from maybe quote unquote having not everything, but, um, being very successful in my career to a place of like complete full stop. And I say it now, it's like, um, a change needed to happen and I wasn't going to permit that change on my own. Okay. I'm the type of person where if something's not working out, I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to keep hustling at it. 
I'll keep prying away at it until, you know, maybe it, it kills me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I see now is that, like, God literally permitted an abrupt change in my career path. Um, so a lot of people don't know, a lot of people don't know that, but, like, last year I basically walked through what I would call it was definitely a wilderness season. Mm-hmm. And a wilderness season could be something that, it looked different for anyone and every for anyone and everyone, but the core the core of it is that you might feel lost and you might feel this heavy weight on you constantly that does not let up. The wilderness season gets rid of the crowds, gets rid of all the distractions, and it strips you and it prunes you. Yeah. Um so I would say I think that's that's where I was that's what I was in. But the beauty of what came out of it, I could not have gotten if I kept on on my same treadmill, if that makes any sense. Um, so I learned last year that although I followed God and he is like my maker, my author, all these things that we sing to him about every Sunday, I admittedly um, had another idol above him. And it wasn't intentionally, like I never said it, but it was in my actions, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I got to a point last year where it was actually done pretty early, where um, my Todd preached on this thing called here is holy. Like that's how I kind of opened up the year. And it was saying right here is holy. holy. And that was the song. And they just repeat that over and over. And it just like got to me numerous times because i'll be like god right here slowly right here it doesn't feel holy but i just kept on singing that in my spirit what drives you is it seasonal that something different drives you or like like um or is it the same thing that drives you every single season so you have to define it and that's something that i learned in my wilderness season i have i have so much fruit from my wilderness season i would say that um really is helping me guide my life now. But one of those things was I had to put words to a lot of things. Okay. And you have to be incredibly intentional and follow it. So in terms of what drives me, I wrote down my priorities. I read this book called Purpose Driven Life. Um, I have it literally on my island in my kitchen. You have to read right. it. Okay. The funny part was I read it in high school when it first came out. Okay. Like it was like a big phenomenal thing, whatever. Um, I read it with my family and my church at the time. And I picked it up because I had the time now and I was just like, it was just so much revelation happening over and over, like with every page. And I don't know if it's because I was a season I was in or if my 30 plus year old brain can reap it or God's just telling me something different in this new season. But there's different prompts in that book. And one of the prompts is writing out at the end, writing out your life statement. You write out the long version and you write down the short version. And both of those are rooted in what you think the purpose of your life is meant to be. And that takes an incredible amount of reflection. But you said when you went to college, you knew what your purpose was. When I went to college, I had an idea okay. of what I wanted to do. Okay. But it's just it was just a spec. Okay. I feel like we honestly just have specs of what God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. We can never... Fully know. Fully know. Mm-hmm. We can't even imagine all the things that he has planned for us. Um, if you're lucky enough to follow and obey him, then he starts to show you little by little, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I had to write down what my priorities are. Um, after writing down my life statement, the long okay. version and the short version. Okay. 
writing down my priorities, I listed it out. God's number one. Mm-hmm. My family, chosen family, number two. Um, you can continue to go down the line, but in terms of what I spent, 120% of my energy was medicine. I was number five. Okay. Ironic, right? Yeah. So if medicine's number five and it's what's taking the most out of me, it's no wonder that I found my that I found myself in this broken space. Why? Because I I didn't have the margin or the time, and I wasn't addressing priority one through four. You have to live a life. I learned that you have to live a life according to your priorities. And if you don't define your priorities, life is going to define it for you. Mm-hmm. Whether that's your job, whether it's your family, like you name it, mm-hmm. whether it's whatever obligation you've signed up for, it's going to define the priorities for you. After you define the priority, after I define the priorities, I then decided to relentlessly live my life according to those priorities and be completely unapologetic about it, no matter how against the grain it looks like. And by against, against the grain, I mean, typically in this in this country, um, we the saying goes, we, I think it's we work to live. No, we live to we work. To work. Europeans, everyone else, they work to live. Siesta, the whole shebang, everywhere's closed between 12 and 2. Why? Because they're with their families. They're relaxing, whatever. They're living a life. But the Western hemisphere culture does not ascribe to that, right? So medicine is... Is the, is the exact same way. In training, you give 120% of your of yourself. You don't sleep, et cetera, to learning this craft, um, to taking some form of physical, mental, emotional abuse in whatever training system that you're in. Um, with the promise of, I don't know, a shiny car, some authority when you're done, the freedom to treat patients the way you want to treat them, if you want to research for a cure, if you want to make a change, with that promise, but I realized that <laughs> that promise is not, um, it's not automatic. It is actually very, it's further than you think because there's a system and that system is ruled by politics. And I'm not, I'm not talking who's in the white house, although that does obviously affect a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm talking the local politics of you're at, where you're at, what their priorities are, etc. Um, okay. So because medicine um ascribes to that you end up believing that whether you realize that you're believing it or not in this and i'm saying medicine but you can you can ascribe this to whatever you think you put the most of your amount of time to whether that's in your job or like whatever right um and i would say i didn't believe it because i didn't say it out loud but my actions fed into it so I missed weddings, I missed christenings, I missed like whatever, because I had to be at the hospital, mm-hmm. right? Because I have to study for my boards, like whatever. Becoming a doctor in this country is not easy. It's like a 14 year process, minimum, depending on what you want to do, mm-hmm. right? Um, so as the 14 years is happening, life is going by. Your friends are getting married, um, they're buying houses, and you are hustling. Every day, your you're, you're, um, weather is 72 degrees fluorescent. That's the temperature of every hospital. If you're in the OR, maybe a little bit colder. Um, why? Because you have a dream that's deferred. So I end up going through this training and I arrive. Like, I'm an attending. That's what you call it when you're, like, completely done. You're practicing on your own. And 
I'm realizing that this dream is much further than I thought. And I went through so many different emotions. Disappointment. Denial was the first one, right? I denied it. I was like, no, there's no way. Like, I just worked my butt off for this long. Like, I've done everything correctly. I just, I'm dual board certified now. Like, the floodgates are supposed to be opening with all these opportunities and how I can make a change, right? So I was just in a lot of denial until I finally started to accept some of the things that I was seeing. And for you to progress through these different, I would call it, there's like a thing called stages of change. It used to be stages of grief. If you to progress through those different stages, you really do need a good circle around you. Because when you are emotionally, mentally, physically dysregulated, you might not have the strength, the clarity to realize or to put yourself back on track. Yeah. So you need people around you yeah. that are going to cover you, right? Um, whether that's in prayer, whether that's just being there, whether that's buying you a meal, whatever. And I'm so grateful for my family um, because... They were steadfast in that for my chosen family too. They were steadfast in that when I was going through these this area of like denial versus acceptance. And now I'm now that I'm seeing this as the reality. What am I going to do about it? But you know, good old me. What am I used to? I just go to my habits. I'm just going to keep. I'm just going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep grinding because grinding has gotten me to be successful. It's gotten me successful by the world's terms, right? Successful to get a job that it's highly coveted by all my colleagues, right? Um, but my circle was speaking life into me when I was, when I couldn't really see like clearly. I remember my sister, she's like one of my best friends. She said to me, she was like, oh, I know medicine's hard, but like, you actually really love your field. I don't like what it's doing to you right now. She's like, me and mom were talking about it and I don't like what it's doing to you. And that really like, spark something in me if that makes any sense because i was i realized i was losing myself um for at what cost mm -hmm. um, yeah at what cost so i wasn't going to make the change myself because <laughs> i'm it's like pure severe warrior whatever so that made the change for me um even when it clicked like when, even when even when I got that deposit from her or when my boyfriend would speak life into me, he's incredibly discernible. It's actually insane. Um, and I'll be like, yeah, it's okay. Like, yeah, it's fine. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, he's kind of like, his, he's right because he's not dysregulated. He's not in this, like, anxiety-provoking, depleting situation, right? But there's that tension that your sister men mentioned. Like, you also love it. You love your field. Right. But I couldn't. At what cost? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can ask that for anything. At what cost um, are you willing? What's the price you're willing to pay for blank? What's the price you're willing to pay for your job? What's the price you're willing to pay for this relationship? What's the price you're willing to pay for insert whatever theme that you think is taking 120% of you? What's the price? If you name that price and you say that price is 120% of my time, then okay, you're in the right lane. But if you say it's not, and if I broke down my priorities and it's number five, <laughs> math is one of my strong suits and that's less than 20% of 120%. Jeez. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so now 
I go from hustling for like 15 plus years to get to this level. 15 plus years, what do I have to show for it? I'm dual board certified. I have great family and great chosen family. I've met some amazing people along the way, but I'm empty. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how I got there because I thought I'd, up, up until recently, I've done a good job of balancing, seeing my friends, seeing my family when it's possible. But the world's just gonna continue to take, take, take until like the glass is empty. Um, so I go from hustling, whatever, to now I have no choice but to be perfectly still. And that was very jarring for me. Um, I realized though that even though my list was God, et cetera, et cetera, like I told you, medicine was truly number one. And because it was number one, and because now I stepped away from everything, my sense of worth, my value, um, a lot of that was internally being questioned. No one on the outside ever questioned me, no one. Um, but it was internally being questioned because the idol that I was serving has now been swept away from me. Um, so everything from um, you know, suicidal thoughts to, man, I'm out here really living on a prayer today. Everything in between is, I felt it. You can you can say it. I felt it. Um, but the funny part was, even with all of this like dysregulation happening, God's hand was still on me. Right. Um, he was on me heavy because now he led me into this wilderness and I didn't have any distractions. I didn't have a crowd. I'd say I ever asked for a crowd, but by, by crowd, I mean the rigors of, you know, doing procedures, the rigors of answering the nurses, the rigors of, um, heck, even like whatever I ascribed to as my responsibility, I didn't, I walked away from all of that. Yeah. So I didn't have any of that anymore, but it permitted space for um, reflection, reading, prayer. Um, and it really permitted this beautiful um, part of me to be awakened. I would say that, um, because I invested in that time, right? Everyone that knows me, like, yeah, I can't sit still, but I can't. I learned. I learned in that season. Yeah. I learned a little bit more in that season to sit still. But I'm but it ended up being very productive for me. Um having unlimited amount of time I got, reading books that I've been super curious about. One book that a friend gave me years ago, pre pandemic. I never had a time I never had the chance to read it. So one day I'm like, okay, I'm gonna pick it up. And the book is called Anonymous. Fantastic book. Everyone should read it. It's super short. It's one, I want to say it's like 60 plus pages. Okay. But the author specifically designs it where you read a chapter a day. 
and the chapters are like two pages long, three max. And the premise of the book talks about outside. It's like Jesus's wilderness years, what it has to do, and what it has to do with you. We only know about three years of Jesus' lives that was documented, right? Plus that one time when he was twelve, acting out <laughs> at the temple. Um, excuse me. So I found it really interesting. Like, what is she talking about? We don't know anything about Jesus' wilderness. Wilderness is years, but we do because the result, the fruit of your wilderness years, shows up when the spotlight goes on you, right? So that book kind of breaks down how Jesus used his wilderness season and how you could possibly use your wilderness season. And it also highlights the three, the three main like falls of man, right? Through the way the devil tempted Jesus mm -hmm. in the wilderness, whether that's attention um, power, authority, etc. And Jesus didn't didn't budge because he knew who he was, right? Um, but the biggest thing that was carved out for me in that book is that the wilderness is really not a waste. So my prayers turn from God, what am I gonna do? What's happened to me? To okay, God. What do you want to get out of me this season? I don't want to step out of this season before whatever you want to transpire, whatever you want to build in me, my character, my work ethic, etc. Until all that is pruned, I don't want to step out this season. So it goes from me being obedient, and I say obedient because there's a difference in saying you're going to obey and then physically actually obeying. Mm-hmm. For me, before this wilderness season, yeah, God, I obey you. Yeah, God, I love you. You're like the rock of my life. But my hours might not reflect that. Even though, yeah, I still wake up, I woke up early. I did my part. I did my quiet time. But I was not being obedient to my top four priorities. Yeah. I wasn't. Um, to the shift now, more so being, as he revealed to me things. Oh, my God, he revealed so many things. In that season, and maybe it may say, okay, and I didn't fight it. And one of the biggest things that it gave me room for was to heal. I realized um, I'm a very intelligent woman, very intelligent. Doesn't matter what room I walk into, most of the people don't look like me in that room, but I deserve to be there. I know that. I've done the research and I've studied my butt off for that. But you get to be an expert in this in this thing. So you operate in the silo. But I really hadn't operated or mastered my emotional intelligence. So then I start this beautiful journey of what that looks like, you know, through therapy, um, through therapy and being brave enough to label things. I although I'm I would label myself intelligent, I couldn't label how I was feeling. I'm much better at it now because I've worked at it. It's a muscle you have to flex. Mm -hmm. But it was just, it was, I was, it was so funny because there were times where I'm like, I know who I am, but I don't know who I am at the same time. Like, who is this, who is this girl that's struggling to 
identify a set emotion that's struggling to identify a tr this trauma. Even for me to say it was a trauma was like a big deal. Like I had to work up to that. So I don't know where you want to go with this, but I had such a fruit, the fruits that came out of my wilderness season. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I would, I would repeat it again. And when I say I would repeat it, I would repeat the pain, yeah. the initial pain that came from it initially to get to this avenue to be able to grow of increased discernment of closeness with God, of living a life unapologetic to my priorities. Um, and also living a life that is more in tune to what he wants me to do.